In this episode of Frame Breakers, we sit down with Harley Block, the CEO and co-founder of IF7, a creative and partnerships agency that works with companies like Starbucks, Spotify, and Coca-Cola on reaching Gen Z. Harley's dedicated his career to reaching people through marketing in unique channels. He told us this insane story about an integration with Home Depot and Roblox. We talked about how to figure out the best marketing channels, and we got his unique perspectives on how to market to Gen Z. If you get just a little bit of value from this episode, the best thing you can do is pay it forward by sharing it with someone else that you think might find it valuable or hitting that like button or giving us a good review on Spotify. Thank you for being amazing, and I will see you in the episode. Welcome back to another episode. Today, I am joined by Harley Block. He is the CEO of IF7. It's a marketing and partnerships agency that helps brands like Starbucks, Spotify, Coca-Cola connect with Gen Z. It's really specific, but um, also probably I'm not doing it justice describing it. So Harley, first of all, welcome. Second of all, um, would love to get a better understanding of what IF7 does from your words. Yeah, it's like to be here, man. Thank you for having me. Um, we do a lot. We do a lot of different things. Sometimes hard to put us in a box, but I would say the the way that we really describe ourselves is a media company that exists to help Fortune 100 brands connect with Gen Z and millennial audiences where they're spending time. That's really kind of the headline. And then the kind of sub bullet to that or sub bullets to that really coalesce around three or four main areas. So we exist in the world to help brands kind of break through the bullshit, connect with Gen Z and millennial audiences where they're spending time. That really, uh, as I said, coalesces around three or four main areas. The first is social content and creators, which is where we spend uh, a ton of our time. So if you think about obviously what's happening in the creator economy, our ability to understand um, and our biased view a little bit differently than most people out there do, how to work with creators, how to enter an environment like TikTok, obviously, um, is a place where the bulk of attention is when you're talking about this generation. So how are we showing up there? How are we helping brands really creatively in, in a non-traditional way uh, cast a wide net, make noise, connect, drive action there the right ways? Uh, so social content and creators is, uh, is the first piece. And within that bucket, we have a few different ways of working. So we work under our own flag. From an IF7 standpoint, and that we have a really interesting portfolio of publisher partners that we can tap when and if it makes sense. People like Flighthouse, who is the number one TikTok publisher in the world, kind of like a new age MTV, like a digital TV network, gamified show formats that um, we handle brand partnerships for. There's Retirement House, which is uh, one of the best things on the internet, like 70 and 80 year old retirees uh, li living together, seizing on TikTok trends. We have a partner called Together, um, which is a female collective founded by uh, four female Olympians, led by Alex Morgan from the U.S. Women's National Team, Sue Bird, the WNBA star, Simone Manuel, the gold medal swimmer, uh, and Chloe Kim, the gold medal snowboarder. And it's kind of the intersection of uh, female culture and female sport culture. So we have this, and then we have a few others as well, but that's really a flexible model that allows us to tap into different corners of the publishing spectrum, but also be able to do things that are uh, kind of detached from those publishers, primarily working through creators themselves. The second area is gaming. Again, thinking about where the attention for this generation is, 
we never really intended to be in gaming, uh, but you know, once it started to really, really ramp up, gaming's obviously always been a big part of who Gen Z and millennials are from a time spending perspective. But you think about what started happening with things like Roblox and Fortnite, we realized it was a place we had to get smart about quickly. So we stood up a gaming offering, working with brands like Walmart, Invisalign, and Home Depot to really think about how do we enter these games in a smart way, create experiences, wrap those experiences in creator extensions and make the noise. Third area is streaming. Um, again, following this trend of attention. Uh, so we have uh, what we call a deep integration model. So we have partnerships with a bunch of major studios. Uh, what we do is instead of product placement, uh, which has been around forever, uh, and films, which certainly has a place. What we do is take a brand, bring together the filmmakers and the key stakeholders from the film side, and we build scenes around certain products or services. So, and personify the messaging of those products and services. So instead of slapping, you know, a bottle or a can or, you know, a product in the back of a shot, we're thinking about how do we actually make that product or service part of the fabric of the actual story to really penetrate culture in a different kind of way. The fourth is um, kind of IRL experiential. So how do we think about extending what we're doing into the physical world, be that actual physical events that we can use as backdrops for content or things like our partnership with uh, Matt Kaplan and Alex Cooper and the, uh, with the Unwell Network, helping them to integrate brands into the live tour or thinking about how we really um, add in from an integration standpoint, the physical world and, and how does that work with what we're doing on the content side. So that's really where our focus is from a spectrum standpoint. But again, if you think about how it ladders up, really ladders up to um, helping brands connect with these critical audiences where they're spending time. There's, I have so many questions I want to dive into around some of these different use cases because what's, what's cool about this is that you guys are doing things that are, it's not just running Google ads or paid ads or some like the more traditional digital marketing things, it's uh, definitely more out of the box. And so I think there's there's a lot of things we're gonna peel back there, but just to make sure that the audience has like some context, like how did you get to be an expert in this type of like brand partnerships and activations? Because I have to imagine not many people could stand this up tomorrow if they wanted. Yeah, so great question. I've spent my career doing this um, prior to starting. And I never saw myself as like an entrepreneur. I never saw myself starting anything. You know, I've worked at big companies. I've worked at small companies. And if you asked me five years ago, I never would have told you that I, I would be um, running a media company. My partner, Michelle McAleer, and I was my co-founder, um, had this idea. And we've been together for years. Prior to founding IF7, we were at Paramount now Paramount, formerly Viacom. Um, and I, ran, I was senior vice president of brand partnerships there. So doing the same types of, roughly the same type of work, but for <clears throat> the properties that we had to work with. So MTV, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, thinking about how we, all, how we were um, able to create content, leveraging all of those things that I talked about before from a digital and social standpoint. Before that, I was at uh, I was chief revenue officer at, at a company called Awesomeness, which is one of the first Gen Z kind of YouTube brands born uh, at that time. Really born to serve Gen Z, thinking about YouTube as a primary vehicle, kind of supplanting TV. 
again, helping brands figure out how to navigate this new world when you're talking about reaching a, a Gen Z audience. So it's been in my DNA um, forever, uh, as far as I can remember. And I've worked, I've spent a bunch of years on the agency side, all rooted in different kinds of ways, but again, helping brands connect in interesting and not traditional ways with consumers. So everything that I've done in my career has really been on the non-traditional side. Um, certainly, ha- I've you know been part of the media ecosystem. So when you're talking about things like the paid side, it is a it is a really important kind of spoke and in, in the wheel and part of, an important part of the marketing mix. But we have always focused on that kind of non-traditional side. So the that is what we built businesses around. That was really the engine that served as the acquisition. Um, Awesomeness was ultimately acquired by Viacom, which is how we wound up there. We took that model over there. Uh, That's what we spent the better part of our careers doing. So it made sense to us um, when there was an opportunity towards the end of the, uh, our tenure at Paramount, when the CBS merger happened to say, listen, like we think we, we do this uh, really differently and think about it differently than anybody out there. Uh, now is an interesting time to give it a shot. In retrospect, it was May around May of 2020, so literally as the was shutting down, and people asked us if we were crazy. Um, there was a resounding yes as an answer. We definitely are crazy. Uh, we had no idea if it was going to work. We didn't know if it was going to be a project or turn into to a real company. And uh, thankfully, it wound up turning into something very real. So that's kind of. Um, a very high level look at where I come from and how I got here. The so uh, yeah, I would say it's definitely turned into something very real. The just based on some of the logos and partnerships you guys have already collected. How how has business been for you guys over the last couple of years? Business has been great. Uh, we are on a an aggressive growth trajectory. Uh, you know, we're growing by every metric you could. Um, kind of apply from a headcount perspective, revenue perspective, client roster perspective. Uh, so we are in an aggressive stage of growth, which we're really proud of. Uh, we're really focused on growing uh, in the right way. So we don't, you know, we we don't hire to hire. We don't, you know, think about chasing revenue necessarily. It's really about doing the right types of work and being a good partner to the brands and agencies we work with. And that's what our what our main focus is, and I believe that if you if you focus on those areas, then obviously the money will follow. Uh, we've been really fortunate. We've been fortunate to have really great partners who trust us, let us take chances, um, test and learn. So we are in a a really exciting place right now, and we're also a company that is not tied to anything. And when I say that, I mean we're not. We don't have a platform. We don't have a roster of talent. We don't have a box we have to stay in. We don't have an environment we have to stay in. We we go where the attention is, and we always will. So this is where we're playing now. If something pops up tomorrow where this audience is, and there's meaningful scale there, and brands need to be there, then we'll get smart about that area, and we'll be there. Um, and I think that ability to be kind of infinitely flexible and light on our feet has really helped us to adapt and also give our partners ideas and strategies that they don't see from everybody else. Uh, because everything that we do looks really different from what was done before it and what will be done after it. And that sense of kind of, um, you know, freshness and being, you know, really trend driven by what's happening in culture 
again, not tied to anything, um, is a really nice luxury to have. That's, that's awesome to hear. Um, and I think, I mean, as someone that myself has come from the venture back startup world, I've seen many companies hire too fast and not grow the right way. Uh, and so I, I certainly appreciate that mindset. Uh, and you guys are running, like, it's a relatively small team compared to some of the, um, some of the clients and, and revenue numbers you guys are doing, right? It is. Yeah. We probably should be like three times the size that we are right now. Uh, and we're, we'll get there. You know, like I said, we, our focus is on growing the right way, but you know, we have a super hardworking team. We like to keep it lean. Um, but yeah, we'll probably be, you know, 25 people, 20 people by the end of the year. Um, we have people all over the country. Um, we actually just got our first space and office space in the city. So we're kind of, um, Finally, we'll have a, a, a home base because I think everyone's kind of going crazy in their houses. Being, uh, and there's no there's no substitute for being together, right? For there's no substitute for that serendipity that happens in an office environment. We'll never be five days, but we do need a place to come together uh, for a bunch of different reasons. So, yeah, I would say um, we are a small uh, but mighty team, but that is by design. And I think, in particular in your line of business, right? Where kind of the the creativity and the ability to bounce ideas off each other as fast as possible and be in that same fiscal environment, I think that is really valuable and something that can like, for you guys, I think will probably pay tons of dividends. Agreed, yeah. Um, you mentioned this a couple of times about, hey, like we're going where the attention is and this happened with the gaming sector where you said, Hey, we had to get smart about it fast. How did you do that? Right. For if, I mean, you are not the demographic for Roblox, neither am I necessarily. Um, so how did you guys stand that up? Stand, but where you, you learned about the, the industry really fast and were able to land big clients and, and obviously be successful with them. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could give you like a really sophisticated, answer but it was really simple man we just how do you get to know anything like that you got to roll up your sleeves and you got to you got to get involved yourself so you know we it was kind of a combination of things playing these games understanding how the environments were researching um, how brands were showing up in these environments um, talking to my nine-year-old son who is like a roblox general and you get very about it um you know there's no real shortcut to it you know it's real immersion so really and then there's also an element of like learning as you go right like there's you know there you obviously have to do enough to be able to talk knowledgeably about it and then there's all you know there's a there is a an element of like we got to just do it and you'll learn by doing so that's really how it happened. You know, we, we talked to a lot of people, a lot of really smart people, smarter than us in the space to help us understand, here's how the environment works. Marry that with actually like, you know, first person involvement of us playing and understanding how the worlds work, understanding the limitations the restrictions and, and where the opportunities were. And our model for gaming really started with a thesis that, what we saw happening was that there were a lot of brands spending a ton of money in a, in a very long time building games for Roblox. And I, I'm not sure how the audience knows about Roblox, but 
Uh, Roblox is not a game like I grew up playing. You know, you 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 know, it's one single game you beat it and you move on. Roblox is a platform, and there's hundreds of thousands of games built on top of that platform. And you can play a new game every day, and and it's a really kind of ever growing universe and ecosystem. And what we saw happening was that brands were spending a lot of money and taking a lot of time. And when I say time, I mean could could be a year uh, building these really beautiful games using really expensive developers and they launched them and nobody was playing because or maybe there was a slight pop in the beginning because they were buying you know sponsored ads on roblox to make them more prominent so you'd see like a you know a a spike and then a complete drop off for most of them and we thought that was an opportunity so what we started to think about was well how can we solve that problem and we thought what what if we went out and struck relationships with some of the biggest existing games on roblox and then we built brand integrations inside of those games so we had guaranteed scale right off the bat we didn't have to worry about getting people there because we already had people there we can meet you know people at scale and be able to build really cool additive brand experiences inside of these existing games so that's what we did um, we went out and we, and we made a strategic portfolio of a bunch of games and we started to stand up these experiences inside of games, working in conjunction with the people who made the games themselves so they could tell us, here's the types of things that our audience likes, here's what they don't, here's how we can be additive and a real collaborative process, including our brand partners to build really cool experiences that, um, that, that weren't kind of head scratchers for the gamers like why the hell is this here i don't need this it's more like this is cool i want to play it uh and that was the original model tell us tell us about one of your more successful gaming partnerships and maybe roblox one of the roblox ones is is a good example where you can kind of particularly share the value exchange of why it was valuable for the game and the brand yeah uh let's use home depot so one one cool thing about our gaming offering uh, and i'm super proud of this uh even though it's a little braggadocious is that we have a hundred percent return rate with our gaming partner so everybody that we work with has come back to re-up sometimes wow. three times over that's all awesome. speaks to this of how well they they performed i think one that's live right now um that's doing really well is with home depot and there's been a bunch of cool pr about this but home depot has done for the last 25 years free kids workshops and their stores in the u.s so a lot of people don't know it i didn't know it before uh i you know the the work came to us but they're really cool like you can bring your you know your son or daughter in and you can build you know crafts and it's all free it's a really cool um kind of give back that home people have done for 25 years for the 25th anniversary they wanted to bring that to life inside of roblox uh which was a very cool idea so they tasked us with you know how do we do that Mm-hmm. So we partner with a game called Red Cliff City, which is like a what they call a town and city game in Roblox. Kind of like, do you remember The Sims? Oh, yeah. Kind of like this. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. So like they call it role play, like everyday tasks. You know, you're a policeman, you're a teacher, you're a, you know, a server. Or you go around, you kind of play the role of just like everyday human beings in life. Uh, and it's laid out like a town and a city. So we recreated a, a Home Depot inside of Red Cliff City down to like the font on the price tags and the store. Like developer, I can 
zero credit for this. Like some of the most brilliant designers and and developers uh, that we that we had as partners, just bringing this Home Depot to life in a really true to life fashion. And what we did was build these workshops inside of Roblox. So you could go into the Home Depot, you could explore the store, you could actually put together crafts um, and then be awarded exclusive items. Uh, and you know, at once you completed them, the cool the the cool part. In addition to that, was inside of the physical Home Depots across the country, we had these QR codes and uh, marketing collateral that was up hanging up in the stores, which were obvious were were making uh, people aware that the game existed, but also giving redeemable codes that you could scan and then go to Roblox and redeem um, in our in our game. And we were sending tens of thousands of new kids there uh every week by by virtue of them going into the workshops and then winding up playing so we had this really cool flywheel where we were introducing roblox gamers well i should say are introducing because it's still live now introducing roblox gamers to the, to the fact that these workshops exist and driving them in store and then also introducing people that were in store to the fact that this really cool experience exists inside Roblox and, and, th- and that they should go check it out. So um, we've done a couple of refreshes. We did a spring refresh, uh, summer refresh. We just, we now have a Halloween refresh that's live right now in Redcliffe city. We had uh, a really cool TikTok creator extension as part of that. So we partnered with a, a very popular creator family called royalty family. Uh, and they created content around them playing it. That went crazy. So it's just been a really cool, um, and kind of multi-beneficial uh, partnership that just continues to bear fruit that um, that just belongs. Like it really fits inside the game well, and the numbers show us that. That's that's awesome. I can I can only imagine too. Like it's got to be hard to even scope something out like that at the very beginning, right? You're gonna uncover some of these use cases and stuff as you go along, but it's just a it's a really cool use case to hear about and prove that the Sims were just like way ahead of their time. Yeah. Yeah. True. There's a lot of town and city games like that in Roblox. It's, it is sometimes hard to wrap your head around, but as like a, you know, an older guy, like, like me, but I, you know, kids love it, man. What can you do? Yeah. That's, that's awesome to hear. Um, So something you, you talked about before was how you guys do product placement in a unique way. So, Give us an example or story from a, a product placement partnership that you guys have gone through in the last, I don't know, six or 12 months. Sure. Um, so I, the deep integration model is really interesting because if you think about a brand um, that's looking to connect with these audiences, you know, there, there, there's some obvious ways to do it and there's some less obvious ways to do it. So again, all mapping back to this North Star of following attention. If you think about the amount of attention that is on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, Apple TV, the like, massive. So how do you show up in those environments um, as a brand? And again, product placement is, has been around for decades, not a new thing. You know, its effectiveness can be argued, um, but we thought we need to be going deeper if we're going to be doing these. So um, I think an example would be something that we did for uh, for Lysol, for example, which is in a movie that's currently number one on Netflix right now called Love at First Sight with Haley Lou Richardson from The White Lotus. I, w- I watched this movie with my wife to prepare for this interview. 
Nice, nice. So that's a great example. So you may not have noticed it. We try to make them really organic, almost like you don't know they're there, but subconsciously you do. So for example, um, Lysol had a new product uh, at the time because this that movie's been done for a while. Uh, and what do you know Lysol at for? What, the, what everybody does, which is household cleaning. Um, so they had a, a, a product, a new product that they were looking to generate awareness around kind of travel wipes, right? Like wipes that you could really use to clean the surfaces of your, of your phone, your tablet, your computer, what have you. Uh, and really thinking about how do we shift the perception of the common use of Lysol. So we talked to the filmmakers and we realized that there was an opportunity in one of the key scenes in the beginning of the film um, where Haley Lou Richardson is opposite her love interest. They're in an airport. She, we, we had her put her phone down um, as anybody would on a table in like some sticky muck or something. She, you know, had this obvious reaction to it. Like shit, my phone is now covered in sticky stuff. And the love interest opposite her asks her, if she wants a Lysol up to clean the screen. It's a very subtle personification of messaging but it's very real and our, we do these brand lifts, deep brand lift studies to measure the efficacy of what we're doing and that just reinforced that notion. But the idea is bring a product to life in a very subtle but important way where the product instantly becomes the center of the conversation and the focus, right? At that moment, everybody's attention is on, for however brief, the fact that a Lysol wipe is being taken out Clearly, you're able to show the package, not gratuitously, and the action of using those to clean a phone or a tablet. And sometimes it's as simple, it's as eloquently simple as that, but it's bringing and it's penetrating culture in a different way because we're showing a product use in a different kind of way. Sometimes it can be a little bit more contextual, for example, in a movie called To All the Boys I Loved Before, which is from the same producer and one of the uh, most streamed Netflix films of all time was a subway partnership where instead of just having subway, you know, in the back of a shot or, you know, a character eating it a few levels deeper. Um, and we had the two main characters kind of, uh, eating subway under the bleachers on Valentine's day, because that was their tradition. Uh, and to be able to honor that tradition, you know, we brought that to life that way. And then in the sequel, we were able to continue it and do it in a different place, but it already had kind of narrative roots in the first one. So it made sense. So, it's really about evolving um, product placement and integrating a little bit more deeply into the story. Yeah, not being like as in your face as some of the, the classic ones you've seen, like, I don't know, like the Aston Martin and James Bond, right? Or like some some of this stuff. And, and those can work. Like those types of product placements, I think, um, have a place and they work, right? Like it's the more forced, like, gratuitous kind of cringy like you like everybody knows when it's done bad oh man like like there was a movie with um addison ray like last year i think the year before it was like they had like 50 brand integrations into it and they were so gratuitous that there was an entire conversation track on tiktok about people like calling it out because gen z has a very very strong bullshit detector the, the biggest of any generation ever so you're not going to get them and it's okay. Like, and everything shows this quantitative and qualitative research for us. Like 
they don't mind being communicated to on behalf of a brand, but you can't be forceful and you can't act like you're not doing it, like own it, but do it right and, and make sure it's balanced and natural versus uh, the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was so natural in the love for sight movie. I, I didn't even, I remember that scene now that you're saying it, but it was, I wasn't at no point was like, Oh, I'm getting served an ad right now. Right. Right. Which means that, I mean, I can claim zero credit for that. That's the beauty of the, the talent of the filmmakers, but that's the idea. The idea is almost like it's done so well. You don't even know it's there, but you know, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so I have it on pretty good authority that you are one of like the most connected people in the marketing world. Um, <laughs> I do, I lie. do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you, you just, particularly for it, for any of these types of out of the box, um, activations, you seem to be like the go-to person. And, um, there was a particular story, uh, someone was telling me about an activation they were trying to do with Kith and you just happened to know the founder and you were able to make it happen. So, I'm curious, like, do you have any particular philosophy on building business relationships or trying to like maintain these types of relationships without seeming like someone that just wants to be like the taker in the relationship? Yeah, I think it's just be about um, being a real person, and you know, everybody is trying to to do business, and I think you know, for us, it's about. Um, bringing different kind of thinking, bringing a different kind of thinking and different type of approach to whatever we do. So if I, if something comes across our desk that, you know, we think, wow, this could be right for, you know, a Kith or it could be right for, you know, a completely, you know, a travel brand or, or something like that. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, you can get to those people through a network and, you know, networks are built over years, personal and professional. Sometimes you don't know anybody. Sometimes you have to just go knock on doors. I, I'm, I'm a door knocker by nature. You know, I come from like the sales world, um, you know, in the media, on the media side, but, you know, you never know what, what could happen until you ask. And, you know, if you have a smart approach and, you know, you're, uh, clear about your intentions, but also clear about what could be in it for the other side. Like you'd be shocked at how many doors can open. So I think for us, it's all, it's continuing to do whatever we can to communicate what we're trying to do and why to be cool and beneficial for who we're talking to. Um, and then be able to, being able to articulate, you know, why they should give a shit and what would be in it for them to do so. And that can't be manufactured, but that's, uh, you know, again, not a not an overly sophisticated answer, but it's really a simple process in my mind. Yeah, just right. Like always keeping in mind what's in it for the other person and, and making sure that you're conveying that super clearly. Um, yeah, and, and also what it what it could turn into as well, right? Like, you know, we work with a lot of brands that have very robust portfolios of brands. So, you know, think about like Mondelez or General Mills or. Uh, you know, any company, P&G, Unilever, like these companies that have like a ton of brands under their portfolio, like being able to to show kind of proof of concept with one brand can immediately open the doors for you um, to a lot of other brands because they, they all watch what the other one does and good news travels fast. Yeah. Do you, in terms of you guys getting new business, 
right? I, I was on your website. There's not like a really obvious, hey, interested in working with us, fill out this form type thing. So I'm guessing a lot of it's referral based and network driven. Um, what's, do you guys have any kind of particular approach to bringing on new business? Uh, good question. It's a mix really. Uh, we, we, we've spent a long time in the business. So, you know, it's for as much changes in this business. The one thing that never will is that it's relationship driven. So as much as technology continues to disrupt everything and content disrupts everything, like it's always going to be driven by relationships and also trust. So, you know, there's no substitute to, for being, being able to establish a strong track record, which, you know, I think our team has done. So because of that, um, we get a lot of opportunity based on what we've done in the past. Um, and then based on what we're able to show we can do, wh whether or not we win, uh, because clearly we don't win every deal and nobody does, but even in a losing endeavor, you're still able to show, you know, how you're thinking and, and your level of kind of work ethic and thought process and strategy around those things. So it's really a mixture of proactive and reactive, not surprisingly. Um, we'll never stop being proactive. We're always going after new brands, having new, I mean, I spend all day long talking to, to new prospective partners. Um, so it's a mix of, you know, really, uh, a byproduct of us and, you know, our, our, our brand partnerships team going out there and making people aware of who we are and helping them understand how we could work together coupled with, um, you know, reactive opportunities from people who know us. Yeah. Where you guys, so you guys have picked Gen Z as right. Your niche is there, where do you think we are in terms of kind of this like evolutionary cycle or understanding of how to get the attention of Gen Z? Cause it feels like it was a bit mysterious or like almost like its own little subculture a couple of years ago, but it feels like we, that we may have crested and like have a much better understanding now, but I'm curious you have thoughts on this. On, on how I think we should be reaching them. Yeah. Do you like, do you, it, it, I feel like Gen Z in particular, right? They are, it, they get called out a lot and they, they, they're doing things differently than generations before them in a lot of ways. Um, and for, there's, I think there's, there's many reasons for that. Um, but I feel like the study of how to understand and, and get in front of Gen Z has taken off the last couple of years, like kind of around when you guys started, um, like, how much command do you think you guys have over that Gen Z as a subject matter versus like how much more there is to uncover? Yeah. I mean, I like to think that we know a little bit about what we're talking about in terms of how to reach them. It certainly isn't me coming up with those ideas. Like no brand wants that. We have a team. Our entire team is com comprised of, you know, really passionate um, young people who spend their time understanding what's driving cultural trends and what people care about. So I think like we rely on them uh, to tell us what's cool and what's not because anybody who has like a room full of middle-aged white guys telling you like how to reach Gen Z is run the other way. Uh, so yeah, we have a really powerful um, and diverse in every sense of that word team that helps us understand, you know, that, when a you know what trends are really moving, what talents really moving, um, you know we pride ourselves on staying like a scroll ahead of the trends and being able to identify like not who's now but who's next, which is a little corny but it's true. Um, 
And we see it every day, man. Like there are so many brands. I'm not going to throw shade at any brand by name, but there's so many brands who you see jumping on trends so late and they get destroyed for it. And it's sad because they're, I, you know, as, as someone who's, you know, been in this business a while, I, I know how much resources go into these things, human capital, actual capital, and, you know, trends are fleeting, right? So like, especially in a place like TikTok now, if you're, if you're taking, you know, if you identify a trend and you're taking eight, nine, 10 months to create something on the back of it, by the time it comes out, it's like, it's, it's, it, it's completely gone. And not only is it not going to be effective, but the audience is going to drag you for it because like, you're so late to the party and, you know, and you're trying too hard. And I see it happen every day and it kills me because, you know, it's like, what could have been done with those resources in that time could have been really, really powerful. So I think for like to answer the question as best I can, it's really about moving quickly, understanding, you know, and being very upfront with your partners and at the outset of like, if we want to be able to seize on these types of trends and be smart and not be a cautionary tale, we need a workflow that allows us to move quick. And, you know, we work with some brands like Abercrombie, for example, who's, you know, currently experiencing probably the biggest turnaround in American history from a brand standpoint. Uh, the notion of being able to, to move fast and be able to connect with talent and trends in, in almost real time and see each other in smart ways, like I can't applaud them enough for, for having a process with us that allows for that but also work with them on a year long basis. So it's this hybrid model where we're saying, if we're gonna connect with this audience in meaningful ways, we know there are milestone moments, back to school, Black Friday, so on and so forth, that we need to plan for, and we will plan for those, but what do we do? And obviously we have things going on in the meantime, but what happens when we identify a really cool trend going on and we wanna hop on it? How do we make sure it doesn't take a month to do? Um, and that's easier said than done. And not every brand can do it because, you know, brands have legal departments and a lot of bureaucracy and red tape. And it's not an easy thing. Um, but I believe that if you want to be effective, you have to, you have to be agile, uh, and not everybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny that uh, a friend of mine who's been in the market world for a long time told me this a long time ago, that there are a lot of potential, like very senior marketing folks that just stick with what they know and what they think is going to be kind of the status quo and they're not necessarily willing to take that that chance and because they know that that's just kind of what's expected but if you if you really want to move the needle you have to you have to look for the pockets of opportunity that are just different than what the standards have been in the past absolutely right i mean when i was uh when content really first started becoming a thing that people were investing in, um, you know, there was a saying we had, like, nobody's nobody's going to get fired for buying TV. And, like, you know, you had to take a chance on this stuff and nobody knew it was going to work, you know? So there is, you're right, there is a, uh, and I don't blame them, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to take a chance and, you know, every dollar is scrutinized at, at companies now as it should be. And, um, it's tough to invest in things that have, you know, have outcomes that you can't plan for 
the way that you want to be able to plan for, but it's really a risk analysis, right? Like, um, you know, and understanding that these, that this is just where you have to be, um, you know, like I gotta be honest, aside from live sports, like I don't really understand why any brand looking to reach a, a, a young person would spend even $1 on broadcast I, uh, outside of live sports. I, I don't even, I don't understand it. I never will. Like, you know, uh, you ask a 16 year old today when last time they watched regular TV was, and they'll look at you like you have three heads, like, you know, but you know, so it is a wild thing. And probably half of them are consuming sports just through like highlight clips anyways. Right. But it is like live sports is a powerful live sports and news, but obviously news is a older skewing thing. But, uh, you know, live sports is a powerful vehicle. Uh, it always will be. And, you know, American American culture revolves around, uh, you know, tuning in. And that makes sense. But outside of that, like regular, regular broadcast television. I mean, when I see like those enterprise software commercials running on like a sports event or, or whatever it is, like any any TV show, I'm just like, what, what, like, VP or C-level exec was sitting on their couch be like, oh shit, that's right. I do need to buy IBM Watson now. Right? Like that, like I just can't imagine that actually goes to anyone's head. Yeah. Even more so a brand looking to reach, you know, like I said, at Gen T or a 16 to 24 year old, like it's not happening. They're not watching. TV. And they're, they're certainly not sticking around for the commercials. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's a good point. So let's talk about trends here for a second. Um, what do you think? And, and this, what we're talking about right now may change probably in like three months, but are, are there any trends that you've been seeing on TikTok or otherwise that you think are, are dying out? And then conversely, what do you think, what trends do you think we're just starting to see become popular? Yeah, I think broad, more broadly speaking, cause the trends are like changing by the day. I, I would say what we're seeing, um, which is interesting is this evolution of, TikTok is an, an is an inherently creative platform, right? And what we are seeing is an, a demand, a growing demand from the audience for creators to evolve their level of creativity. So TikTok is a platform where you know things like transitions are are in play, and there's some massively talented people um, that are able to just make just incredibly powerful content based on the native tools they have um, with it platform and what we're seeing really is um what was good enough and performing well like 12 months ago is not anymore you know it's really there's a bigger demand on on the part of the audience to evolve the creativity that's happening from creators and that could be as simple as you know moving you know, out of your bedroom or out of your home into the physical world and utilizing different types of backdrops or, or leveraging different types of transitions or keeping things moving faster. But I think that's a trend we're seeing. And we're also seeing that performance is really tied to that. So the way content is performing is kind of reinforcing that notion. And it's a really interesting thing because um, I think what also happens on, on the back, on the crest of that trend is you know, you have obviously creators of varying sizes. You have your, your kind of micro and mid-level creators and you have what we call like mega creators. You're, you know, 20 million followers, 15 million followers. Um, there was a really big school of thought that 
put a lot of stock in using micro influencers, you know, letting smaller creators carry messages to these hyper engaged communities. And we were big believers, big believers of that to an extent we still are. Um, I think it's really important to think about that mid-level layer, like the person who may have half a million followers, a million followers, 2 million followers versus 20, because that is where seeing a real separation between performance on both ends of that spectrum. And to, to dovetail into the previous point, there is or seems to be a production limitation and creativity limitation when you get too small from a creator standpoint. And, you know, because they, they just haven't evolved yet. They, their channel is new. And so we've, we've really tested and learned and seen a lot of really interesting trends come out of that, that reinforce, um, the kind of larger trend I just shared. Do you think when you talk about the creativity, do, do they need to up their production quality? I would say it's less about production quality because everything's done on a phone, right? So it's like, it's about quality and more about, um, like thematically what's going on. You know, again, or you may be leaning into two production tools like transitioning and editing. Editing is a really big part of it, um, and editing is a, isn't a quiet. It takes a while to 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 perfect. And you, some of these creators have incredibly strong editing skills. Some don't. You don't always have to have it, but there's ways to really make the content stick out and be unique uh, by leveraging. A, the first party tools that a place like TikTok offers, but also editing skills. Right. And I guess is also to maybe kind of like if you think about a creator's career and seasons where they may be working off a couple typical formulas for a handful of months at a time, but then like figure out new formats and new formulas for the next few months of videos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that makes sense. I feel like creativity and these like this, these type of content platforms, they kind of sway back and forth th between some of these cycles, right? Like at first everyone loved Instagram because you got to like put, use filters and like make your photos look better. And then all of a sudden people got sick and tired of that and felt like it was all fake. And they wanted like the more raw and authentic stuff. And at some point, right, people were are going to get tired of the raw authentic and they might want something more polished again. So, um, I think this, this type of like seasonality within a creator's own career makes a lot of sense that people are looking for the next thing from them. Um, I, I would be, it would be silly if I didn't ask you this, but what thoughts do you have on the whole NPC trend right now? NPC trend. I don't know if I, the, the, the people like pretending to be the, the gamers and like, Oh, 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 uh, honestly, I, I'm going to ache. I'm gonna age myself. I, I I mean I get it, but I don't get it, man. I I I could see the novelty in it um for a minute, but like there are some people like that show up on my for you page that like there's this dude that sets up in Soho in New York on yes, the corner. Like the the bleach hair. Yes. Yeah, I mean he's there all day, every day. And obviously, the, listen, they're doing it because they're making money, right? Like they're making money, however however small amounts. I'm not super in tune with the amount of money, but I know they can make money doing that. I think there was a girl that really got famous, one of the first ones. She was making like 
$8,000 a day. So I understand why they do it. I don't really understand why someone would want to watch it for more than like five seconds. Uh, and, and, but I'm not the demo. Like, you know, it's, it's not for me. I, I think it's, uh, it was really interesting to see when it first started. And obviously like there's some people who do it better than others, but yeah, I, man, I, I don't, uh, I'm surprised it's still going strong. And sometimes I check, sometimes I go in and check to see how many people are watching. And like, I got that, the Soho guy, like there could be like, 2000 people watching it. And he does the same thing over and over again. It's not like he comes up with like new phrases, but to me, I find it like mind numbingly annoying, but that's it's not for me. Yeah. It's, uh, and I think that's the, that's the good thing to remember is that it might not be for us, but it's for someone. And obviously if people are, are tuning in, um, and I think what's, what you'll probably see, right. is like, these are people, it's not easy to do that. And there's like it to put yourself out there in that way. Definitely not, not easy to do at these, a lot of these people, like they're grinding, doing this for like hours at a time. That's what I'm saying. Like I can't, listen, you can't knock the hustle. Like if it, if it works for you and you're good at it, like, you know, more power to you. I'm excited. I'm actually excited to see their next season of their careers and what some of these folks evolve into. Cause I think a few of them, right. If they have the gumption and the work ethic to do it at this level, then it could be the launching pad for something less mind numbing and very successful. Yeah. It's funny. I think, uh, I looked, I I'm fascinated by it because I think like I'm fascinated by any trend that sticks around. And I looked up that, I think I just went in like a, you know, a click, uh, black hole on that, on the Soho guy, whatever, sorry, whatever your name is. Uh, He's actually a, uh, a musical artist. And, and that's like what his, social footprint and persona is around. And if that's the case, I didn't listen to his music, but he's very clearly uh, an artist. And this is, could be a way in addition to whatever money he's making to drive awareness and, and listeners to his music, which again, smart marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our, we're, we're nearing the end of our time here. A couple last things. What, what keeps you up at night running IF7? probably different every night. Um, last night it was something that was due at noon today. Uh, I, I would say that, um, you know, at running a business has a lot of different elements and we exist to help clients. You know, we're a service business. Uh, but it's also really important to me that the people who have, you know, trusted us and come aboard have, um, you know, a really good experience here and that our culture is right and that we're supportive of them. Uh, and just, you know, that I wouldn't say it keeps me up, but that is a real thing that stays top of mind for me, uh, listening to them and understanding the types of things and tools and develop pieces of development that they need to be able to further their careers and do their jobs as best they can. Uh, and just trying to be, um, you know, as good a leader, uh, and, and uh, a partner in a year as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's super important, right? Like if you, particularly in a service business, if you don't have people that, um, that are having a great time and enjoying their time there, it's going to show through to their work and, and a mention to the customer. Um, let me ask you about just going to like your, your close knit professional circle. Who are a couple of like the most important people in your professional circle and why are they so important to you? 
Great question. Um, my partner, who is like an appendage, uh, she, uh, you know, we co-founded this thing together. It can't exist uh, without her. So, you know, being able to be on this journey in, in partnership with her is, uh, you know, something I treasure dearly and something that is uh, critical to the existence and growth of what we do. That's certainly one. Um, you know, I would say the partners at a senior level, at all levels, really, on the agency and brand side, again, like the, le- the, the volume of choice in the marketplace right now is so big and, you know, it's such an, uh, a tenuous time with the uncertainties in the economy and, you know, the layoffs that we hear about and even the ones that we don't, which there are plenty, um, having the ability as a relative, as a three-year-old company to win budgets on the level of brands that we're fortunate enough to win from, I never take that for granted. And so I think, you know, having the trust and the confidence of senior people, decision makers on the brand side and the agency side, that is, um, you know, the most important thing in business because, you know, we are really confident in our ability to give you something that we know will be effective, but we can only give you something if we get a chance at bat and getting that chance at bat, um, it's not easy. So that, you know, those types of relationships are critical. Um, and then also, you know, in the talent space is really important. So creators are a through line through everything we do. Um, it's a, it's a big community, but also a small one at the same time. Everybody knows everybody. So being able to have a really good reputation as a company that honors their agreements with talent that, you know, does something like pay on time, which a lot don't, and, you know, be a resource for them and understand, you know, what, what types of brand deals to bring them and having a really mutually beneficial and trusting relationship and good reputation on the talent side and maintaining those relationships is really important too. So I'd say those three. Yeah, that's awesome. Last question I'd like to get everyone out of here on is what is one piece of advice or lesson that you think about almost every single day? How to be better. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I am thinking about all day, every day, just how to be better. Um, never be complacent as cliche as that is, but yeah, I think how to be better listening a lot, um, knowing what you don't know. And there's no substitute for hard work. Like, you know, uh, there's just no shortcut. You, know, you got to just, you got to live it. You got to do, I mean, we, we, we live in the dirt here. I mean, we don't, nobody is too good or above anything. You know, I'm working on stuff that, you know, people half my age here are working on and we're working on it sh- shoulder together and everybody's better for it. So just, you know, checking your ego, uh, you know, and understanding that, you know, if you really, if you want to do something special, you gotta, you gotta work, you gotta work at it. And, uh, and then sometimes you just got to shut up and listen. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I'm sure your, your team respects that a lot. And, um, for everyone else listening, what you didn't hear that at the beginning of this episode, before we, we turned the mics on was that Harley only got two hours of sleep last night because he was working on a client project, uh, through the midnight hour. So, um, so he, the, the guy is, is living it every single day. Harley, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I am, I'm really excited to just continue to watch the IF7 journey from afar. And, and so you guys continue to just collect these massive logos and, and can you do some really unique partnerships and activations? 
Thank you. It means a lot. Thanks for having me.